Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. While I'm doing that, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We have, we're going to read two passages today, but um, this is the first one. We're going to be starting at verse 14. Romans chapter 8. Verse 14. And just keep in mind as we're reading today that um, this, is, this is what we're going to be looking at today. One of the most um, profound truths in the universe. So as we read, these are all going to be very familiar passages. We're going to look at a number of passages today, not just these two as, as well. But don't let the uh, familiarity with the text keep us from seeing the full weight of this. So Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And then if you turn a few pages to the right to Galatians chapter 4, a very similar parallel passage. It's Galatians chapter 4. We'll start reading there at verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray before we get started today. Father, we thank you that we are your children and that you love us infinitely, that you chose us from all eternity and that you set your love on us and you love us in the same way that you love your own son. And I pray that you would help us to understand the truths of these passages and the others that we'll look at today, and that you'd help us to understand that we are truly your adopted children. We pray that you would give us wisdom and that we would apply these truths to our hearts and to our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. So, like I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about one of the most profound and really life-changing uh, truths that we can or, or will ever know. And we're going to spend the rest of our lives on earth, but also the rest of eternity, trying to grasp and understand what we're going to be talking about today. And that's that the love of God in adopting us as his sons and daughters. And 
very familiar again with these truths, and I'm not really going to say anything today that you don't know already. So it's important to realize that when we're talking about God and His truths, that we don't just get a truth like adoption, uh, learn the, the gist of it, and then set it in the back of our mind on the shelf and move on to, to new things. It's important to realize that we should be daily living and breathing and, and wrestling and um, applying these truths to our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. We should be always going back beyond the basics, but then always going back to the, the precious truths of the basics of the gospel, and that's what fuels our Christian life. Um, everyone today is talking about the love of God. Those in the culture are talking about the love of God. Those in the church, everybody talks about the love of God. In the Reformed Church, we talk about the love of God, and, and few of us, myself included, really grasp what that means. And so today, I hope to, to just scratch the surface of what it, what it means that God loves us and adopts us. And especially in the world that we live in, we have the remnants of sin in our hearts. We have the attacks of Satan who is doing his best to convince us that God does not love us. And then we have examples of people in our, in our life who fail us. Our friends, fathers, husbands, everyone in our life who has let us down in some way or another. And what we begin to do is think of God as being just like them. And so with all of these influences and the lies and uh, the, the war around us, it's so easy, whether it's in the subconscious or the conscious, to doubt the love of God. Or we have this sort of works-based, points-based, legalistic system that's just in a, a nagging corner of our heart that's always there, that's, that's hard to get rid of even though we know about the, the precious truths of justification and adoption. So it's so easy to become distracted, so it's important that we just focus in on and constantly remind ourselves of the truths of the love of God. And these passages that we read today are God's antidote to that. These are some of the greatest truths and lessons that we could ever learn. So with that said, let's focus in on the doctrine of adoption today. I, I personally believe, and I think a, a number of theologians have said the same, that one of the reasons that we struggle so much in our daily lives with understanding the love of God and understanding Him as our Father is because the ado doctrine of adoption is lesser known and in some ways neglected. And a number of Reformed theologians have pointed that out, that we can lose sight of this doctrine of adoption. There aren't quite as many passages of Scripture that address it specifically, and so it can be easy to, to lose sight of. But it's a crucial part of learning what it is to know the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. So what is adoption? The larger catechism defines it, and it says that adoption is an act, just like justification, of God's free grace in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. 
So the, the doctrines of justification and the atonement and redemption and the cross work of Christ is really the focal point of God's love, and that's the gospel. And we should always be studying those truths and reminded of those. But adoption is also one of those truths that's a focal point of the love of God. Justification, on the one hand, is the truth where God clothes us in Christ's righteousness and accepts us as righteous in his sight because of Christ. And the truth of adoption really flows out of justification, as we just saw in that answer, where all those who are justified are then also adopted. And adoption really gives us an even fuller sense of the love of God for us. Adoption's inseparable from, yet distinct from justification. And that's why the Catechism has those two questions back to back. What is, adopt- what is justification? And then what is adoption? Robert Raymond says this about this. Uh, he says, for whereas justification addresses the question of one's relation to the law, adoption addresses the question of one's relation to God the Father himself. So that has a very great impact upon the way we view God in our Christian life. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and I think it's very helpful. He said, undoubtedly the New Testament never separates justification and adoption, but neither does it, does it confuse them. In human terms, it is quite possible to imagine a man being justified without the remotest thought of his being adopted. The fact that a judge pronounces the verdict of not guilty does not commit him to take the accused into his home and allow him all the privileges of a son. So when we read that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can't just see only, merely, the turning away of God's wrath from sin, but not only is God's wrath turned away from sin because of the atonement and we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, but also we're legally adopted as his sons and daughters, and he loves us infinitely such that we can call Christ our brother and that heaven is our inheritance as heirs and as sons. Now, as we look at the foundation of adoption, it's important for us to understand as a, as a foundation the love that the Father has for the Son of God. This is foundational to understand God's love for us. And John 17 is one of those great glimpses into the relationship of Christ and the Father. What we have in John 17 is a really revealing of Jesus' heart for us as a mediator and also his relationship with the Father. And, And listen carefully to John 17 here and what this says about God's love for the Son. And listen to what that says about not only God's love for the Son, but us as his adopted sons who are in Christ. In John 17, verse 22, this is what Christ says. He's praying to the Father. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and you love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, 
And I have made your, no, your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, because of our adoption, and our redemption, and unconditional election, and because of our union with Christ as his mediator, God loves us with the same love with which he loves his own son. The same love that he loves his own son. And it's easy to see why Christ, on the one hand, is so lovable, because he is whom he by whom the world is made. He is and has always been perfect. He's the treasure of knowledge, and in all ways he's to be loved by us, and he is loved by the Father. But that's, even in spite of our sin and our misery and unworthiness, that's the same love that God shows towards us when we are in Christ as his adopted sons and daughters. Matthew Henry says this. He says, The privilege of believers is this. The Father himself loveth them with a love resembling his love to his Son. For they have loved in him, for they are loved in him with an everlasting love. Think about that. An everlasting love before the foundation of the world. In the same way God knew Christ and loved him, he loves us. One theologian says this about the eternal plan and love of God, that there was never a moment when God had a blank mind or a time when God's plan with all his parts was not fully determined. He never made up his mind finally about anything. He had always had the plan. So before the foundation of the world, he loved you and he loved me and he will always continue to love you and me in Christ through eternity. Ephesians 1.5, it's a familiar passage, we all know it. He, God continues to drive this point home about this eternal love and adoption in Christ. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So that's been God's eternal plan that we would be united with Christ, that Christ would take the wrath for our sins and that he would love us and adopt us as his own children for eternity. And notice from Ephesians that this adoption is through Jesus Christ. Christ went willingly to the cross. He endured the full wrath of God for every single sin of the millions or billions or who knows, maybe even trillions of believers. And yet he willingly laid down his life for the sheep. He loved them in the greatest trial and the work that's ever been done, and that's the cross work of Christ. Listen to how the Apostle John says uh, that Christ loved us. He, this is in a passage in John 13 leading up to his betrayal, right before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. This is what John says. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So our adoption is through Jesus Christ, and by his blood, 
righteousness, cross work, and by our justification and his perfect life, he redeems us, as we saw in Galatians, from the curse of the law so that we may be adopted as sons. Now, looking back at the passage that we read, back to Romans there, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, which we just read. As we consider the, the implications of this adoption in our lives, Romans 8, verse 15, we see that adoption revolutionizes our prayer life because now we can address God as our Father in heaven. We take that for granted in the Lord's Prayer, addressing God as our Father. This is the, this is the reason for it. Romans 8, 15. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received an, a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We can cry out to God as children to a father, and his spirit whom he gives to us, the spirit of a son, the, who is the, the seal of our adoption, he helps us cry out to God in our weaknesses, as we see later in Romans 8. He is not far from us. Again, John in John 14 records Jesus' words, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So just as a child has free access to their father to talk about anything, so we have free access to God's throne as our father, and he is near to us, and he has made our, his abode with us. We have access to the throne of grace just as a child is able to talk freely with their father or their parents. Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have to realize also that just as a father loves to hear from Christ, just, or just as a father loves to hear from their child, loves to hear their voice, loves to hear them open their hearts, so God loves to hear from his own children. And that is one of the great benefits of justification and adoption. Now, th this is very... Um, important if you come away with one thing today that this would be it and that's the love of God in adoption along with the truths of justification redemption and the atonement break any ideas that we have in our hearts even as believers remaining in us of legalism or this slavish fear of God not a, not a godly fear of God but a slavish fear of legalism it's so easy for us to have false ideas of God's love. We have, like I mentioned before, the devil, who's the great deceiver and, and the accuser, spreading false ideas about God's love in our hearts. We have him questioning God's love whenever we sin or whenever we consider our past failings. We question our, God's love for us. And then we have these broken or marred relationships or bad examples of what love is, and we begin to think that God is just like that. Or we think that God is always mad at his children, or he's always ready to punish, and that we're always one step away from 
being punished or, or judged. And while we don't want to in any way minimize our sin as believers, this is not the, the average state of our Christian life to be constantly in fear of God's love for us. That completely contradicts the entire gospel that God freely chose his people and saved them perfectly from all their sins, that it is finished, and that because we are in Christ and in his hand, nothing will separate us from his love, and no one, even ourselves, will be able to snatch us out of his hand. As, as John says, all that, that God has given to Jesus, of, of that, Jesus will lose nothing. So if we truly understand the work of Christ and the love of God, we don't need to fear that we are not worthy to be called sons of God, because we never have been and never will be worthy to be called sons of God. God saves us apart from our works and because he chose us and because he loves us and redeems us by Christ's blood and righteousness, we never have been and never will be able to learn, earn God's love, even as his children. Just listen to these passages and see how God views his children. Actually, let's turn to this one together. It ties in very well to adoption. It's uh, Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Just, just listen to the way God views his children. Psalm 103. We'll start reading at verse 10. Psalm 103.10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows and he is mindful that we are but dust. One more passage, Micah chapter 7. Let's turn there as well so we can see this. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Micah 7:18. Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. So we could go through countless passages. I have more here written. Romans 8, where it says that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. But in all these passages, you see that we are safe in Christ as sons and that God does not hold any of our sins against us. And there's a powerful illustration of this adoption that we're all familiar with in the book of Luke. And listen, listen carefully to the story of the, the prodigal son. We know, we know the story, but listen how it applies to God's view for us as sons in adoption. 
in Luke 15, we, we have the, the prodigal son who, who goes off and spends the inheritance as a son. He looks up in the pig pen, and this is what he says. When he, when he comes to his senses, he says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And notice before he can finish what he's planning on saying that he says, just make me one of your hired servants. Here's what we read from Jesus. He says, But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. So that's the love of God for us as sons. So yes, sin is very Serious. We can never undermine that. Sin is ugly and repulsive to God. But that's why the price of our redemption at the cross was so costly. And so sin in our Christian lives is very serious. But again, that is why the price of our redemption in Christ was so costly. And that is why it is such good news that God has forgiven us of all our sins whether before we were Christians or as Christians or in the future, and treats us just like this prodigal son. Again, from John, John has so many great passages on this, quoting from Jesus. All that the Father gives to Jesus will come to him, and the one who comes to him, he will certainly not cast out. He is not ready at any moment to cast you out at his son, as his son, but to welcome you and to celebrate. So if you're a true believer, and if you cling to Christ, and you trust in Him alone, don't let Satan use your failures, or your sin, or your lack of zeal, or distance from God, or anything as a believer to cause you to doubt God's love for you, because it never depended on that in the first place. Christ is truly our only hope. If you're not a believer, don't use Satan's lies as an excuse by saying that God can't love you because of what you've done. God doesn't accept anyone based on what they've done. No one. God accepts those, and He saves those, and He loves those who believe because they renounce their works, and they look to Christ alone for hope and mercy. And that's why God justifies us and saves us and adopts us. And so often, we forget that, and we begin to turn inwards and look to ourselves for our own hope of salvation. We are truly saved because of Christ. And Christ loves us more than you could ever know or will know. If you are in him, think about that. You will spend eternity, forever and ever and ever, just trying to comprehend how much he loves you. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Because he loves you just as he loves his own son. So how else 
does this doctrine of adoption affect us in our, our daily lives? When, when a child is adopted by their parents, their legal status changes. But their way of life and their personal relationship with their child and with the parent changes as well. God doesn't simply rescue us, declare us righteous, and then let us go on our own way with a, a guidebook until we get to heaven and, and die. God welcomes us into his very family right now because of his great love for us. And we are seated with Christ now in the heavenly places with Christ. So if we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and God, the God of the universe, is our Father, what have we to fear from anyone? From persecution, from our own sin, from our own failures? We have nothing to fear. Again, Romans 8, which we, which we read. I know I've had you turn away from there, but Romans 8, chapter 15, or Romans 8, verse 15 again. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So perfect love casts out all fear. There's this beautiful little phrase that Luke records from Jesus, and Jesus says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father, your adopted father, has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And as the passage that we read in Galatians says so well, we are heirs, not slaves. Yes, we are indebted, we are enslaved by this great debt of love that we owe to God. But we don't have a slavish fear of God as a rough master. We have a wonderful relationship and respect for him as a father. One of the helpful tools that has helped me as I study God's, really any of God's attributes, but also his love, is, comes from question four of the Shorter Catechism that, that talks about what is God. And one of the helpful things about that answer is, it says, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And then it lists a number of things, his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. One of the amazing things to consider and think about, and I encourage you to go home and just write this out, is that every single one of those attributes, his being, power, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, we can describe by those attributes infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So when we go through each one of those attributes, we can see that God has infinite goodness, eternal goodness unchangeable goodness. What Robert Raymond says about that word goodness in the catechism is that's just a, a word to hold all of the um, words that describe God's love. This is what Raymond says. He says, the catechism intends this beautiful word goodness as the general category in which all of God's love, grace, mercy, pity, compassion, long-suffering, kindness, and other such expressions of his tender mercy and fatherly character are to be placed. So all of the attributes of God that we read about in Scripture, all of his perfections, we can write those down, and before that, every single one of those put the words infinite, infinite pity, infinite long-suffering, infinite mercy, infinite graciousness, eternal graciousness, eternal pity, eternal love. So I would encourage you to go through that and just meditate on the, the wonderful way that the Westminster Divines worded that, so that we can go through and that's what we will be figuring out for the rest of eternity. Is that right there? God's perfections, 
God's attributes and his love for us that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So to, to wrap things up and, and to conclude today, this is what drives every part of our lives. How we study his word, how we love our, our spouses and our children, why we share the gospel. Talk about a, a motivation for evangelism that we don't know who God's elect are, and so we want every single person in the world to know and understand God's love for us in, in justification and in adoption, that they might know the great things that God has done for his people. Listen to how John, again, describes the right, proper motivation for obedience based on the love of God from 1 John. 1 John 4, 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to, what? to love one another. So this is our motivation as we go out into the world. This is our motivation as we raise our kids or as we love our wife, that we would be a living, breathing example in a pitiful way of the love that God has towards his bride and towards his children. God's love is truly our only hope. And that's how we deal with everything in our life, whether that's persecution or whether it's just the motivation to fight remaining sin. We have the privileges as sons and daughters of God to spend the rest of our lives exploring the, the bottomless ocean of the depths of God's love. I just want to share one more illustration. This is, came from... Um, Paul Washer, who really influenced a lot of what, what I'm sharing today, and um, he gives this illustration of, of two couples. You have a husband and wife on one hand, and another husband and wife. So uh, with this one couple, you have a husband who, who knows his wife loves him unconditionally more than anything. And so she's constantly thinking about him. She would never do anything to hurt or to harm him, and she's just incredibly loyal to him into their marriage. The first husband, he knows that. He's fully aware of this love of his wife, and he thinks, my wife loves me so much, so I can do whatever I want and go break my vows, and at the end of the day, I know that she'll still love me. Wow. Then you have another husband who knows his wife is beyond faithful and loving. And knowing that and how undeserving he is of that love, knowing himself, he does everything in his power out of a sense of just wonder to show her love and to be faithful and to shower love on her. It's the same way whether it's a husband or a wife. Either way, that relationship of marriage is, is a really a picture of Christ's love for us. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. If we hear about his love and think of it as an excuse for sin, we don't yet understand his love. We don't understand our relationship with him as adopted sons and daughters. But if we hear of his love and rejoice and know that nothing depends upon our works or performance or obedience, and we do everything we can to love him back as his sons, that's the right view 
of the Christian life. So you can see how, just how important this doctrine of adoption is. We've just barely scratched the surface today. I know I read these passages from, from Romans and Galatians, and there's so much more here that we could talk about. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about the Spirit of God and how all three persons of the Trinity are involved in adopting us as sons. But I hope that's helpful for you today as we go about our lives, never losing sight of God's love for us, that nothing depends on ourselves, but we can trust entirely in Him as our loving Father. Are there any thoughts or anything? I I know we want to close on time. Let's just let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us as sons and that we can come to your throne of grace freely and we don't have to fear. We thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins, that you have cast them into the sea and that you don't bring them up in any way. We thank you for loving us, for your long-suffering, kindness, for your compassion. We pray that we would continue in the journey of trying to find out what is the breadth and the height and the depth and the length of your love and that we would be truly grateful and thankful and that that would be the motivation for our obedience to you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Thank you very much.